Now, Scotland's talking. Call 0333 2020 401 and join the debate. Good morning, I'm Ali Valley. This is Scotland's Talking on the programme today. Have you started stocking up on tin food in case of a no-deal Brexit? There are more warnings about what could happen if the government doesn't reach agreement with the EU by the end of March. The Road Haulage Association say there could be thousands of trucks queuing up to cross the channel. There is no plan B. If we can't get permits and we can't get access, they literally will stop overnight. No supplies, people out of work, jobs gone. And should we be concerned that the number of motoring offences recorded by the police has more than halved in the last five years? Labour's Daniel Johnson says it's not because we've all become angels on the roads. The fall in convictions for motoring offences aren't because there's been a fall in the number of people speeding or a drop in the number of people driving without insurance. Also on the show, Dr Rachel Harper will be joining me to talk about the work of the National Confidential Forum. People are joining together who were in children's homes and hospitals and boarding schools as children to shine a light on the past in order to affect care in the future. Before that, I'm going to be asking if you have a problem in your area with other people's parked cars clogging up residential streets. It's a big issue in the west of Edinburgh with people trying to avoid sky-high airport charges. We'll be finding out about ideas to stop it. It's all coming up on Scotland's Talking. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's Talking. We start off today talking about parking. People who just abandon their car in your street possibly blocking you in for whatever reason. In parts of Edinburgh, residents have been up in arms about the so-called car dumping. That's what it's called, car dumping. For example, in Castorfin, people are often leaving their vehicles in order to avoid parking charges at Edinburgh Airport. They could be away for days. Just find a space in the street and that's it. Get the tram along or the bus along and that's it. Now Edinburgh Council has announced a review into the issue and is considering introducing prioritised parking zones for residents. Our senior reporter Hope Webb spoke to transport convener Leslie McInnes about the whole issue. It's been a touchy one for residents, you know, people dumping their cars to head out to the airport. Tell us a little bit about the ideas around this and how we can try and, and prevent this. We've noticed a change across the city in the last few years where... There are now resident groups who are coming to us to actually ask for some assistance around this. Uh, we are seeing an increasing number of people who are commuting into the city centre on a daily basis, but they come in, they drop their cars off in residential areas and then carry on by public transport. That clearly causes a problem for residents, and the same thing is happening in Kerstorfen, for example, around what we are terming holiday parking, where people are, are dropping their cars off and then using public transport to get out to the airport. Clearly a, a problem for residents, one that we want to tackle, and we can do that through an, introducing a number of different uh, controlled parking zones. So the idea then is to kind of prioritise residential parking. Tell us a little bit about then how this will work and, and, and when we could see it become a reality. Well, what, what we're looking at at the moment is implementing a study which will look at six different areas across the city, uh, featuring different aspects to uh, this particular problem. That will then help us inform us about the actual actions that we need to take. But these actions will be against the background of communities coming to us, asking us for assistance. 
and so we'll be able to define exactly what we do for each of those communities that will suit them and their circumstances. So this review then will look in depth you know, at the issue and, and see what really is the best solution then? Yes, indeed, in, in specific areas across Edinburgh. Um, you know, clearly we have some tools already at our disposal. We just need to make sure that we're using the right ones in the right place. See, I think that one of the solutions is that Edinburgh Airport looks at the extortionate car parking charges. Surely that should be the first thing. They're there to provide airports. You know, you get on a plane, you go somewhere. But the money they must make out of the car parts is phenomenal. Absolutely horrendous charges in that airport. So is that is that not a starting point? Can we not put pressure on Edinburgh Airport? Can the council not put pressure on the company that run Edinburgh Airport and say, get the prices down in the main car parks? I was mentioning yesterday when I was on that I, I went to Edinburgh Airport to fly out to a meeting in Ireland. Went out lunchtime one day, came back at tea time the next day. You could have knocked me down. I, I don't think, you know, I felt very unwell when I had to put £68 into the car park machine. 68 quid for a day and a bit. Ridiculous. But it's not just, of course, Edinburgh Airport. Does this happen where you live? Is there a problem with something like a hospital, for instance? There's another one. You know, that people get charged in certain car parks. Nine Wells in Dundee is an example. The streets around Nine Wells Hospital in Dundee, Monday to Friday, Saturday and Sunday as well, are absolutely chock-a-block with people parking in the streets, in people's residential areas, so they don't have to pay the charges in the car parks. Now, is the answer, like one MSP is continually bleating about get the car parking charges taken away, I don't see that as an answer because all that would happen is people would park in the car park all day and those who are trying to get in there for an appointment wouldn't be able to get into the hospital because of those who park all day. I I don't know what the answer is, but it's not taking away the car parking charges as far as I can see. But of course, I've been wrong before and I can be wrong again. What do you think? Is there a problem where you are? This is Scotland's Talking. So we're talking parking, and we're talking parking at the moment in residential areas where people come along and drop their car off, whether it be for a day or, as was being suggested by Transport Convener at Edinburgh Council, Leslie McInnes, they leave them while they go on holiday, leave them sitting outside somebody's door while they go on holiday and just get a bus to, to the airport. I must be here. Does that affect you? Is, are you one of those residents that live around the Castorfin area uh, or, or any area that's, that affects Edinburgh Airport, that the cars are... Is this really becoming a major problem? I'd like to hear from you. Please do give us a call. Get in touch, 033-2020-401. Or indeed, if it's uh, an issue, this car dumping that affects you, not necessarily because of an airport, but because of some other um, large facility that people come parking to, whether it's a, a, a big factory or whether it's indeed, as we're talking about, a hospital where people can't get parking. Isn't it amazing that they, they build hospitals and they build these big things and, and the last thing they seem to think about is parking. People will park. No matter what the politicians say, use public transport, people will still use their cars. That's why they buy them. Yeah. So they can use them. Not to be told by politicians, 
use a bus when it'll take you three hours to get there. Uh, John Bissett, hello. How are you? Good morning, Ali. Thank you. Yes, I agree 100% with you. I'm a specifically about Nine Wells Hospital and car parking in the area is the worst blight I've seen in years. I, I'm not kidding you, Ali. It's, out, it's really got that bad. Residents are worried. Uh, basically, even motorists are worried. Now, the thing is here, car parking charges, and that's what we're talking about today. Did you know the car parking charges at Nine Wells Hospital, they made a £1 million profit? Profit is not a dirty word, John. <laughs> it's not a dirty word. No. So so what? So what? I, d- I don't get this, you see. This is where you and I will, will disagree here. Because... It's all about opinions. It's all about it. opinions. You've got yours and I've got mine. So the company, Indigo, who are not the best company, public relations-wise, they, they're pretty... They never... You know, they, they, they have a bad reputation. Um, as far as getting back to people and ticketing people, etc., etc., that's the company that run Nine Wells Hospital. They seem to 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 need a good PR person, right? So they took the contract to build the car parks, to build a big multi-story car park when the hospital trust couldn't afford it, right? Yes. So the hospital trust money, instead of building this big car park, went into the hospital. It went into building wards or whatever and they left the car parks to somebody who's an expert at doing it and that's Indigo. they built the car parks so that surely they've every right that's what they do they are a car park operator who make profits if they didn't make profits they wouldn't be able to pay their staff so what's wrong with them you know making i don't see the problem as indigos i see the problem as as the health boards who are not looking at this and saying to themselves, we have to do something for the residents around here. I agree with you. I agree with you, Ali. But what about the fact that if you go outside Nine Wells Hospital in the area, there's that many cars parked up and down the roads and places, in fact, where it's unbelievable. And they leave the cars overnight. Right. OK, John. John, what is the solution? What would you do about it? If you were in charge tomorrow, what would you do about it? Well, the thing is, do you have a, a, a car park attendant walking up and down putting stickers on windows? Well, that's, that doesn't take away the problem. They've still got a park somewhere. Certainly. Right, I've got an idea. You notice there's a lot of fields round about that area. Why don't we build a new free car park for everyone and no charges? Right, How so, that? well, that, that may take them off the, off the streets. But we're lazy people. We are lazy when we've got a car and we want to park as close to the front door as to wherever we're going as possible, don't we? We've got to teach them better. Park and ride free. That might help if they had a big park and ride. That would be one of my suggestions. It wouldn't take it away from, you know, nine miles have still got to have the car parks and the car park charge is still going to be there. Because I think if it was a free car park, it would be a free for all. And people would be parking their cars there and getting the bus into the town for nothing. So I don't see that as being an answer, but we need an answer. We do need an answer. John, thank you. That's one instance that's going on as, as far as uh, John's concerned in his neighbourhood at Nine Wells. Brian Martin. Hi, Brian. Hello, Ali. Good morning to you. What's your thoughts on this then? Um, well, I live in uh, a cul-de-sac in Charleston. Right. And the car parking is absolutely atrocious. I've had people at my door 
asking if they could use my driveway. Really? Ridiculous, you know. Where Where are they going? Uh, they're just parked there overnight, and then going away to the work in the morning. They can't get parked near their own house. See, this is a problem, isn't it? And, and uh, this, again, uh, again, it, it, it brings to my mind the Scottish Government's plan to stop cars parking overnights and at all on pavements. And that happens in a lot of housing schemes throughout Scotland, doesn't it? Because when, when houses were built, let's say, tenements or indeed blocks of flats were built, they didn't count on Ma having a car, Pa having a car, and the two Waynes becoming 17 and they're having their own cars, so there's four cars to a household. You know, so people have got to park somewhere. Yeah. So you yeah. you could actually be... Do you use your driveway, Brian? No, I don't. No. So why why don't you rent it out and make some money? No, because, because I use my garage. Right. And I keep motorbikes in there. So it would be blocking the entrance to the garage? So they need they need access, yes. Right. At all times. The both the two of them work. They've got there's two motor scooters in there. Right. But you have so been offered have, money to use your driveway. Yeah, I've been offered money to use the driveway. And uh I've I've said, No, I need access. Now the other thing, Ali, is the streets full of cars and when you get to the end it's a cul de sac, there's a square that you're meant to be able to turn in. Now when the the truck lorries, the, the, the bin lorries, trucks or any trucks going up, I've got to reverse all the way out again because they can't get turned. Whereas they can easily make it a through road. There's plenty of space mm-hmm. where the tenement used to be. You can easily make a wee road through onto Craig Mount and that would, uh, that would relieve a lot of the problems. Hmm, it's interesting, isn't it? We we, we yeah. are we, we we like to drive our cars, but some people are really yeah. inconsiderate, aren't and they? There is another slight idea whether it would work or not. Is there's a lot of tenements where people are no interested in their gardens at all. Right. So if they took maybe six foot off off of that, put new railings up, that would be off-road parking, which would definitely help. Yeah, give them some extra space. Yeah, yes. Thank you very much indeed, Brian. That's a couple of thoughts there. What are yours? This is Scotland's Talking. Back on the phone lines, and it's Lorraine Sweeney. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, how are you, Alec? I'm fine, thank you. Yourself? Good for um, a Sunday morning? Yes, good for a Sunday morning, but I've got to agree with your last caller and join for nine wheels. Right, OK. Because um, we have the same problem. It's a seven-minute walk from here to the Royal Infirmary. The very housing association I'm under is round the corner and their staff have to park away round and round and round and try and find a parking space. The local councillor stays round the corner. She's got to find a parking space. So the solution is, was it Guy Fox that blew up the Houses of Parliament? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where the... That's, that's the solution, is it? That's right? the solution. As far as I'm concerned, aye, that's the solution. And nobody's caring. They're all sitting there in wee offices writing ticking boxes and making all these laws, and they're not actually own the actual street. They'll get free parking. Right. They'll get free parking wherever they go. Who do you blame? Who do you, who do you think is to blame here? Is it the, the health board and the, the hospitals should be um, doing something? Do you think it's the, the council? And if it's the council no, and I the councillors live there, why does the councillor not do something about it? Well, I, I, I'll 
Well enough, aye. That's a good idea. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, your gas is at a peep, woman. Shut up, you. <laughs> no, I do think it's, it's all these wannabes and whatever the hell they are writing on bits of paper. They've no actually, they don't, they're no living the life. They've mm-hmm. no seen what's going on. Right. Do you get what I'm saying? I get what you're saying. Don't don't agree with you, but I get what you're saying. Go what on. do you mean you don't agree with me? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree with you. I mean, at the end of the day, these wee people sitting in their offices and ticking the boxes, they're not the ones that are parking the car outside your door, are they? So it's not their fault. But see that man for Dundee? No, the man for Dundee, the one that was after him. I've got a big back green here, and I swear, I think I'll rent out right enough. That's it, that's what I'll be doing. That's yeah. what I'll be doing. I've got a wee front, a wee, a wee front garden, I'll just take the peelings off and I'll just charge them £20 a day. Well, probably... Well, Is that's, that too much? That's too much. Yeah, you're, you're being greedy now. I know I, I know. I said profit isn't a bad word, but that's being greedy. Right, how much will I charge them then? I'd go for a tenner a day. A tenner a day, right, yeah, that's yeah. it. So when you pass by my window in Meadow Park Street in Denison, you'll see, park here for a tenner a day. That's <laughs> it. Get, I'm going to get banners made. That's it, and the next thing you see is Lorraine's away on holiday. Aye. That's it, yes. <laughs> Thanks for talking to me, Thank Alan. you very much indeed. Bye-bye. 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 Uh, Billy, how are you? Hello, how are you doing there? I'm, I'm all right. Call I'm, I'm listening to your calling about parking charges, etc. Right. And I, I think basically the government are the biggest uh, people for charging us uh, for car parking, namely road tax. Without road tax, we can't go on the road. So let the government do something about this. Hmm. So if we're not getting road tax, if we're not getting MOTs that they make my car road worthy of, then don't charge us to park them. Stop buying cars, we'll see how that affects the industry, and then the government will need to step in and provide big car parks. You know, fields, you know that's, you know that's never going to happen though, Billy, don't Absolutely you? Absolutely never going to happen. They sell all these, all these plots of lands off to these big house builders, which, as they keep saying, creates jobs in the community. Well, let us take my cars to work them as it charging us. Hmm. I just think that if we're expecting the government, whether it be Westminster or Edinburgh, to do something about this, we'll be waiting and still talking about it in another 10 years. Absolutely, but we'll still be talking about parking in 10 years. Yeah, yeah, it's going to get worse, isn't it? Well, we'll stop selling the land to private uh, car park uh, enterprises and let the government take it on board and give us realistic charges. Realistic charges and the government would make money out of it as well. But they're, they're making money to anybody when they sell the land to these private owners, mm-hmm. these car park owners. I mean, I, I stay in Rutherglen, and Rutherglen, uh, South Warwickshire Council charges for a permit per year, £35, just to park on their own streets. Right. But do you think that they, they should be charging you for the permit or giving you a permit free? I think they should be giving the residents a permit free. Yeah, so do I. I, I think the this charging... Per- residents who are already paying rent for the house are rent, paying road tax. tax rates, Absolutely, road tax yeah, yeah. This, this will, you know, will. Um, I think it was Edinburgh that announced the other day as well that they're going to be increasing charges for permits for diesel cars. Well, well, you know, rather than done it first, it was ten pound originally ten pound. It's up to thirty five pound a year now. Right. So, so give, give the residents, as you say, two car parks. If you're privileged enough to have more upon the two ways of a car, go and let the ways park somewhere and walk him. OK, Billy, thank you very much indeed. There's Billy's thoughts. Uh, John, what's your thoughts on this then? Good morning, Harry. Have you got a car? Uh, yes. And you've got a bike? <laughs> have you got one? Because you're going to get on it in a minute. I've got, I've got a bike, but I've been knocked down a couple of times. Now, what it is, Harry, cars in general, but 
too much dependent on these four be these plastic these vehicles. And today, I have it. Well, when I stay, it's the most polluted places going for cars. You can't move across the street for cars. They're parked everywhere. And what they put out is pollution. Now I realise that pollution is one of the, a big problem for the future for the children. Because when you breathe in that pollution, it enlarges the heart and it causes loads of problems. John, for you're talking children. a lot of guff. You're talking no, no, absolute no, no, nonsense. No, no. Yeah, no, the, no, the, no. the cars today. I mean, okay. You, what are, you, you, I know. I know. In your lifetime, what are you now? One hundred and ten or something, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> You're getting on no. for that. You're getting on to be one hundred and ten. I realise in the old I, days, I, I, I your know, first car, there was probably somebody walked in front of you with a torch. But things have moved on <laughs> since then. They've got headlights. I, I, Listen, cars have cars. never. Cars today have never been so environmentally friendly. There's, there's too many for the vehicle. Too many for for the towns are. They, they, they don't have the spaces. There's too many people having. It's, it's becoming a big problem. You can't get across the road from it in the cars. So I mean, it's becoming a problem it's again for pollution. And where I am now, I'm breathing in all these. And you, uh, you guys who have got cars, are polluting the world. I take it I you've think, not got I, a car. I, I, I think that what you should do, charge uh, for pollution charge, because they're killing people. With pollution. I'm telling it's, you, it's I'm problem, telling right? you, modern day cars are not polluting the society as much as you're saying they are. They, no. You know, cars have improved <laughs> over the last 10 years dramatically, new cars. Have you got an electric car? I don't, I don't like electric cars. No, I, I don't, no, no, I'm not a fan. No, I mean, that, 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 what, have you got a bike? <laughs> I've got a bike, but I mean, not maybe, I've got a bike. So you're, yeah, not a ca- you're not a car driver? I was, I was, but cars, I mean, I've no way to put a car, this town here has polluted my car, there's no way to put a parking, you know, so, I've got rid of it, you Well, know. that's, that's you know, what I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about parking, we're not talking about pollution, thank you, get off. Turning Point Scotland, Scotland's talking. Scotland's talking on a Sunday morning, you may have heard the commercials about the National Confidential Forum, NCF. What is it all about? Well, Dr. Rachel Harper has joined us this morning to tell us a wee bit more. Rachel, good morning to you and thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme today. NCF, why was it set up and what is it about? Uh, The National Confidential Forum is Scotland's acknowledgement forum for um, the experiences of children who were in institutions in the past, many of whom were abused or maltreated. And this is their opportunity to have their say and to contribute to clear recommendations to government about how to improve care in the future. Right, so this this goes back to the government setting it up, is it, to try and get people to come forward with their experiences? Yeah, so the government have set it up to um, listen and acknowledge those experiences in the past but majority of people who come to the forum do so because they don't want what happened to them to happen to other children. Mm. And have those people who are coming forward now, have they lived with this for, for, in general for quite a number of years then, Rachel? Yes, many people um, have held uh, long silences. Um, we have heard from people who were in care um, 60 years ago. Uh, we've heard from women or men who are now in their 80s, but we've also heard from people as young as 25. So the, the, 
they've kept their um, their stories to themselves for for a long time. Mm. And bringing their story to you, um, what is actually happening with the information that you get? I mean, are, are you looking to to assist them, to help them, or or is this just information gathering? So we have a, um, a statutory responsibility to listen and to acknowledge. We have a statutory responsibility to identify the themes and the patterns, but we also have an, a responsibility to signpost people on to other resources if it's needed. And what has been the reaction so far for you? It's had a fair bit of publicity. Are people now coming forward? Yeah, we've had our recent campaign is being really successful um, because it provides an opportunity for um, people to get clarity on what what we can offer. Um, people are joining together with other voices of people who were in children's homes and hospitals and boarding schools as children um, and joining together to shine a light on the past really um, in order to affect care in the future um, and the experience of people coming along is really positive. People feel empowered by breaking the silence and sharing their experiences. It must take a lot for them to actually, well first of all, accept that somebody now wants to listen Mm -hmm. i.e. yourselves, and then think, but will, will they really be interested in hearing what I've got to say? It must, must take a lot to get in touch with you. Um, it's different for different people. Some people are very clear what they want to say. They get in touch with us very quickly after hearing an advert right. or reading a newspaper article. They've got a clear idea of what they want to say and um, and they come along and do that very straightforwardly. Some people it takes time and the forum has... Um, has a system that is means that people are very well supported both before, during and after by an experienced team to make sure that they are well informed, well supported and, um, and well supported afterwards. The, one of the important things is that we can go to people, they don't have to come to us. Right. So we can travel anywhere in the country, um, people can contribute their testimonies in writing if they want to. The important thing is that they get the opportunity to have their say in the way they want, in the safest way for them. Is it all negative comments, Rachel, or are you getting some positive feedback as well? What you usually get is a mixture. So many people's experiences are varied. Um, they will have particular people who have stood out because they have been um, very supportive to them or, in contrast, very abusive to them but majority of people's experiences are a range of positive mm. and negative experiences mm. we are an acknowledgement forum of past abuse and maltreatment so majority of what we hear has some degree of difficult experience within that but for some people that might be leaving care and their lack of preparation for that for some people it might be about the way they've been treated or the stigma that they've faced at school, or the number of places that they've moved around the country. So it's a very different picture for very different for each person. And you're not sitting down and cross-examining someone. I'm thinking of maybe 
somebody who's listening to this at the moment who who went through uh, the care system mm-hmm. in some way or other and is thinking, I would like to tell my story, but, you know, um, I don't know what to do. You're not going to sit down and ask them 20 questions, are you? No, no. The forum is about um, acknowledging each individual's truth about their description of their life. So we will listen to whatever people have to say to us. Um, it's not about trying to find out fact or... Um, investigate. It's about listening, hearing and accepting and acknowledging that things weren't always how they should have been for children in care. And we're not just talking about residential care, are we? We're talking about other aspects of care as well. The forum covers um, anybody that was looked after in an institution away from home. So that includes a residential school, a residential unit, a children's home, an NHS hospital, a boarding school or a school hostel most commonly up in the Scottish islands. Right. And and from that then, um, can we accept and presume that everything that is said is confidential? So people's identities are confidential. Um, so you, if you come and speak to the forum, your name will be kept private. However, your experiences will contribute to a report that um, will go towards government to impact on care in the future. So the themes and the patterns of your story will be made um, made public mm. and communicated to people who can make a difference. And the whole process, if someone does get in touch with you, again, mm-hmm. listening at the moment, mm-hmm. um, is that programme you said you will travel around Scotland or indeed uh, bring people to you. How does it all work? How, how are you experiencing it so far? <clears throat> So majority of people come to us, which we have um, special rooms set up in Glasgow, um, but we are happy to um, to go to, to visit anybody else. Their travel and their hotel um, costs are supported for them and at least one other supporter. Majority of people bring one person with them just to give them some support and we will support that and pay for that. Um, and then um, the, they will contact us they will have contact with a support worker who supports them before during the hearing and on the day and afterwards they will check in with them straight after and a few weeks later make sure they're okay um so majority of people come to us but we are happy to visit anybody anywhere usually in a place they're comfortable with like Mm -hmm. a local hotel or um a counseling service or um you know somewhere that they can get to easily what do you plan to do with this information? What does the government task you with? So we have um, a commitment that we have to analyse the work um, and identify the themes and the patterns um, and then create a, to create a report. We'll be reporting at the end of this year um, to government, at least for the first stage. Um, but we also would like to find a way to communicate what people experienced in the past to, to the Scottish public. So that'll be part of what we do um, so that people understand what happened to children in the past. And in a way, it, it really is looking to the future as well, isn't it, Rachel? It's, it's, yeah. it's what can be done out of this to make sure that the system is improved. <clears throat> I think um, it's about comparing it to, to how, how things have changed now, because for many, it will be care will look very different now. Um, But I think also it will play a part in supporting those who 
for whom their care experience had a very difficult impact on them lifelong. So I think we will be affecting care in the future and keeping children safer in the future, but also about supporting people for whom we didn't get it right in the past. Right. And uh, I would assume that um, somebody listening at the moment who is feeling, uh, well, you know, I, I, I could contribute to this, mm-hmm. uh, you would suggest, I think, the best way initially is to get in, uh, look on the website. So people can phone us directly. They can text SHINE on just the word SHINE on 62277 or they can look on the website. The important thing is for people to believe that we... We, their stories matter to us, their experiences matter, and no matter what they've experienced, even if it's one day, one person, or their whole time in care, we will listen and their lives are important to us. And it's not a case of sitting at home at the moment thinking, yeah, but they're not interested in my story. You are interested, aren't you? Yeah. yeah, very much it so. Is all you have to have done is you have to have been in an institution for at least one night um some point in your childhood be over 16 now and not in the institution that you were in, in the pa- that you were in in the past right rachel thank you very much indeed for joining us today and giving us some information about the national confidential forum and the the website is nationalconfidentialforum.org.uk dr rachel harper thank you thank you Five minutes now away from 11. Uh, in the next hour, we'll be asking you, have you started panic buying because of the prospect of a so-called no-deal Brexit? Are we a nation of panickers? Remember the beast, the beast from the east when the motorway was closed overnight at one point and all of a sudden we had no bread on the shelves. We couldn't get a pint of milk. Is it going to be like that? They're talking in the news about insulin shortages. Because of the good weather, there's supposed to be onion shortages coming up. Good grief, you know. Will we not just cope? We always do. Talking about that in the next hour. And are drivers getting away with breaking a law because there aren't enough police out there on patrol to catch them anymore? A couple of subjects for you coming up. This is Scotland's Talking. Before the news, we were talking about parking and how it affects you. If you're near, we're talking particularly about uh, uh, those living in the vicinity of Edinburgh Airport, uh, where it's causing problems in the fact that people are just abandoning, dumping their cars and heading off on holiday. And also, of course, um, talking about other areas. A couple of calls uh, talking about Nine Wells Hospital in Dundee, where residents are plagued from early morning, 24 hours a day. They are getting people who are either working in the hospital or heading to the hospital and parking their cars there uh, right in their street and right in their cul-de-sacs, etc., etc. Here's one that comes in from Anne Williams. Hi, Anne. She says, uh, yes, parking affects my private lane. We live in Lossiemouth, where nuisance people randomly dump their motors and affect my neighbourhood just so they can go and exercise their dogs in local playing fields or indeed in the quarry. And they don't pick up the mess their dogs or kids leave behind them. So, yes, it does cause a problem. And thank you for getting in touch. Uh, G in Edinburgh says, Morning, Alec. The way I see it, if they can afford a holiday, they can afford a taxi to the airport. Right. Thank you for that simplistic way of looking at it. <laughs> Don't agree with you, but I know what you're saying. Thank you. Uh, keep your calls coming in and comments as well on parking if you've got something to say. I'll give you all the details of how to get in contact in a moment. Um, have you heard 
Arav, you started panic buying because of the prospect of a so-called no-deal Brexit. Uh, SMP, MSP, um, Stuart Hosey has been uh, saying this morning that, you know, he's uh, like myself and like the Prime Minister. Three of us all have something in common. We all take insulin. And insulin, and Stuart was pointing out that insulin isn't made in this country, so there was already a, a problem and those looking ahead and saying supplies may be interrupted. So already we're looking at it, and there's a medical reason. There have been reports of families starting to stock up on tinned foods just in case the UK government and the European Union don't manage to reach an agreement on the terms of our withdrawal by the deadline of the 29th of March next year. It's not that far away. You know, when you think that they've had a couple of years or so to get this sorted out, and we're now months, we're on the countdown. That would mean that no transition period and all current agreements we have would be ripped up from the 29th of March. It would just stop. The EU says that would mean the UK would be treated like every other country in the world with full border checks. In Emerge, the authorities in Dover are looking at plans to use a 13-mile stretch of motorway as a temporary lorry park. The chief executive of the Food and Drink Federation is describing it as the stuff of nightmares and is urging the government to explain exactly what the consequences would be. And Richard Burnett, who's the chief executive of the Road Haulage Association, says there will be huge implications for the transport industry. From where I sit at this point in time, we are, we're not ready. Uh, and that's not scaremongering, it's the reality of the situation. Uh, and I think the, the politicians need to understand the, the harsh reality of what may happen. Two major issues, I think, from our perspective. One uh, is, is obviously the customs process. Chris Grayling has very clearly said in the, you know, openly in the, in the press that, that uh, there will be no border checks. It would be utterly ridiculous to think that that was possible. Um, just the sheer scale and the number of vehicles that are coming through uh, Dover uh, would make it impractical. So he's kind of almost, almost said that, that, that you know, in a no-deal situation, well, we wouldn't check anything. We'll, we'll have to work out a process, but we wouldn't check anything to keep everything moving. But the French have not made any commitment in terms of the juxtaposed position and whether or not they would put those customs processes in place, and we think that they probably would, certainly in a no-deal where we come out of the customs union. And therefore, we're going to see queues probably on a scale like you've never seen before, and they will make probably, you know, two years ago when we, when we faced the migrant crisis and the issues then uh, look like we're, we're stopping at traffic lights. So I think we're, we're going to be seeing delays of probably... Uh, days, weeks, not, not just hours. Uh, we're talking about thousands and thousands of trucks. Th thousands. We need to try and push the message that we've got to get to a deal. We, we have to get to a deal in order to resolve this. Um, there is no plan B. You know, there, there literally is no plan B. So for those 8,000, 9,000 hauliers that go to Europe uh, every day, if we, if we can't get permits and we can't get access, they literally will stop overnight. No supplies, people out of work job's gone. Just think about that. There is no plan B. And that's coming from a guy, Richard Burnett, the chief executive of the Road Haulage Association. There is no plan B. It will just all stop on the 29th of March. The UK government, of course, says it's very confident a deal will be done. But are you getting worried that it won't? 
Just think back to the winter when we had Scotland's motorways closed for a day or two, remember that? By snow and ice, and supermarkets across the country sold out of bread and milk. There were queues at shops that had any milk or bread on the shelves. We live in a just-in-time economy. What would happen if the lorries can't get across the channel? What are your thoughts on this? You know, possible insulin shortages or insulin supplies may be interrupted. That's a scary one. Those on insulin need it. You know, can you imagine putting your prescription in for some insulin and the chemist coming back and saying, sorry, uh, we won't get it in until a week on Wednesday. Good grief. What are your thoughts on this? Give me a call, 033-2020-401. That's the number. You can also text. The text number is 61054. Start your message with Ali. Email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk. Get in touch. If you've got something to say, get it off your chest and get it on the radio. It's only a local rate to call us, but some phone providers may apply for their charges. Let me just go back to another subject we've been talking about, parking. Uh, Dot says... All new houses being built have to have one and a half parking spaces now. Really? What use is that to man their beast? One and a half parking spaces. Anyway, another one here. Car essential for my work to be near for going out to clients. I'm a funeral director in Perth Road. It costs £9 a day. Council will not give a permit for a single car to park there Monday to Friday, 9 till 6. Say it's residence only. So it costs me... £45 a week just to park. That's what we're talking about. You know, councils are charging you to park. You're you're paying road tax for being on the road. You're paying your rates for being in the building. Got you everywhere. And they still say there's no money in the, the local government circles and their coffers. Um, oh, this continues. It says, I was asked to pay a permit, but it's parking meters only. It's a nightmare. Even if the car is marked for being on funeral business, we still get tickets. Thank you for that. Uh, John, how are you? Yes, how are you, Ali? Good fine, morning you. to you. Good morning. I'm fine. Right, parking as a taxi driver. Taxis can park yeah. anywhere, can't they? No, they can't. Oh, some drivers no, seem they to think can. they can. Yes, well, that's a common misconception. Of that's a not driver. a misconception. They do it. <laughs> You're just at the wind-up now. No, I'm not. No, uh, um, what is happening more and more with taxi drivers, and this is going off the beaten track, but I must say this, is you're getting jobs where it's deliveries, Ali, be it mail, be it uh, you're turning into a courier. It doesn't matter what it is. Now, what the people expect you to do is pick up the package, take it, go into the city centre, pack up your car, walk five flights of stairs, hand the package over, get it signed for, and then come back down the stairs. That's not what we do as a taxi driver, but that's what we're expected to do. You can turn the job down, can't you? Um, Yes, you can. But um, when you're trying to earn your living... And it's getting harder and harder every week, Ali. It's very nonsensical to be turning jobs down. Um, so, but if I could just go back to my point about parking. First of all, I would say that if you are building a building, be it a hospital, a sports centre, 
whatever it is, a football ground, whatever it is, you should be forced by law to have enough parking round about that organisation to cope with what's going on here. And it shouldn't be getting charged this and getting charged that. Now, I saw a thing in America um, where it was a loft alley. It held three cars. And the way they worked it was you paid more the, the lower you come down, but it was all time. So that if you had the bottom bay, you had to be out by two o'clock. If you had to be at the middle bay, you had to be out by five o'clock. So instead of one car parking, you had three cars parking, but you were LT a time. But you paid more the more time you had, if you know what I mean. Which would mean the top car couldn't get out if the bottom one was late. Yes, but then it was towed away. Right, OK, I'm with you. And, and, right. And, 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 right, so that was like three cars parking. That was in New York, I saw that which is a, I, th I thought was quite a reasonable idea um, to compensate. But the amount of money that drivers pay into uh, the roads and road tax, we shouldn't be having these problems. These problems should be solved, but it, it's the black hole. All the money that we put in in road tax disappears into something else and not on the roads. Um, that's the, the, the thing with, with the parking alley. And it, it does cause chaos because I, I um, live in almost next to Parkhead Stadium. And when there's a game on at Parkhead, the east end of Glasgow comes to a standstill because uh, cars are parked everywhere and anywhere, up people's streets. I also live next to the, the swimming at Toll Cross. And as happened the last time, I'm going to have a problem because people will drive up my street, say there's a space, park in it, and then when I go home for work at mm. night, I've nowhere to put Ah, Yeah, yeah. And that shouldn't be the case. That just shouldn't be the case. There should be, if the sports centre holds 500 people, there should be car parking for at least 200 people. And it should be law. That should be the law. And it should be there. It shouldn't be charged for it. It should be free because you're using the service. Yeah, that's right. Secondly, yeah. if I can just touch on the point with the abuse among the carers, I really feel sorry for these people, but I think that what has happened is still happening. It has happened and it's been ignored, Dali. And it's only now that it's getting brought to light. Why aren't people looking at why it was ignored? Why it wasn't acted on at the time? Because they knew it was happening. I knew it was happening years ago. Everybody knew it was happening. Um, it was just ignored. It was swept under the carpet and all the fields of that. Mm -hmm. So I know that there, there was a problem and there was a problem there because it was happening and being ignored as much as anything else. So... I think that a lot of people should look at why it was being ignored, who was ignoring it, and what can be done to make sure it's not ignored again. OK, thank you, John, for uh, your comments on two of the subjects we've been talking about today. Uh, if you'd like to comment, then please get in touch. We've already got uh, some more coming in on social media regarding the the shortages of Brexit. Uh, we'll come to them in a moment. And also asking why are we seeing uh, less traffic police on our roads.
Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's talking. Are drivers getting away with breaking the law because there aren't the police out there on patrol to catch them anymore? That's the claim from Scottish Labour, which has compared figures over the last five years and found there are 57% fewer motoring offences being recorded across the country. In Glasgow, that goes up to 76%, a drop of three quarters. Daniel Johnson is the party's justice spokesman, and he says it's not because we've all started behaving ourselves behind the wheel. The fall in convictions for motoring offences aren't because there's been a fall in the number of people speeding or a drop in the number of people driving without insurance. It's purely because there's been a fall in the number of officers available to do the type of proactive work that's required in order to catch this kind of criminality. Our valued police officers are overstretched. What we need to do is increase the level of resource available to them to do the type of local proactive policing rather than cutting numbers, which is what the SNP are proposing to do. So, uh, there's, there's his explanation of it. Callum Steele from the Scottish Police Federation says officers are under-resourced and overworked and he's been giving his reaction to Rob Waller for Scotland's Talking. The police service is under phenomenal pressure, pressure like it's never been under before. Uh, we've got uh, too many people dedicated to a whole variety of different things and we've barely got enough time to draw our own breath. Uh, never mind be out there uh, catching those that are committing offences on our roads. So you speak to the Scottish Government and what they say is that officer numbers are still significantly above the 2007 level, which is when the SNP came to power, and that's the benchmark they always use. And they also point out that recorded crime is at a 43-year low. So is this just part of that? Uh, well, uh, on both things, they would be correct. There are more officers than there are in 2007, and indeed crime is at a, uh, is, is at a low, uh, as low as it's been for many decades. But the simple fact is, is that the officers, uh, as much as there are more of them, are dealing with uh, far more complex issues than were ever before. The, in- the issues that we're dealing with uh, take longer to resolve. Uh, and uh, the, the simple fact is, is that much of what we deal with uh, occupies the time of police officers for hours and hours on end, uh, and a lack of investment in the police service means that uh, police officers uh, spend huge amounts of time uh, undertaking unproductive activities such as uh, such as waiting for uh, space and uh, to get access to cells uh, or driving much greater distances because police stations have closed. Uh, so there's a whole series of complicated factors that come into play with the bottom line is, uh, is regardless of the number of police officers we have and regardless of crime, uh, police officers are overworked, uh, the police service is under-resourced uh, and there are a combination of factors in terms of the money that comes to the police service and one, that there's not enough of it and B, the amount that does come to the police service, the police service itself is uh, more than adept at wasting millions of it, uh, putting, uh, putting uh, money into rich consultancy firms. So, as road users, should we be concerned by this? Or would you prefer to see police resources used elsewhere rather than going after drivers? I think most drivers would probably say yes, but when you need the police, if you've had an accident, um, or indeed um, there is particularly a serious accident when the police arrive and they take control of the the whole area, that's that's when they come into their own. So maybe, you know... Sort of see where Callum Steele's coming from. They are under tremendous pressure. So, uh, sitting about with um, a, a radar gun is probably um, not priority when they have passed a lot of that over to mobile speed vans. But what are your thoughts? 
Um, would you prefer to see police resources used elsewhere rather than going after drivers? Or indeed, do you think um, they should still be uh, doing what they were doing previously and uh, checking on drivers' speeds, etc.? It's, it's, it's like when um, councils come in with uh, doing a, a 20 miles per hour limit, you know, and, and well, that's, let's do that across the whole town or the whole city or whatever. Who's going to police it? That is always my question. Who's going to police this? You know, it's okay saying you're going to get fined now for doing X, Y, Z, but who's actually going to police it? Because the police just can't do everything. What are your thoughts? Oh, treble three twenty twenty four zero one is the number if you you've got a comment. It's only a local rate to call us, but some phone providers may apply for their charges. Plus, of course, you can also text on 61054 and start your message with Ali or email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk, which is what Robert's done. Robert says, uh, we're talking about shortages here uh, coming with Brexit on the way. Not sure we're talking about a few moments ago. Uh, morning, Ali. I was given a prescription from the doctor, took it to the chemist. She told me there was a national shortage of this particular item and contacted the doctor to give me an alternative. Worrying what will happen after Brexit. Will Westminster hold the Scottish Parliament to ransom and increase the number uh, of prices to the Scottish Government? Also, I live on Butte. Turns out lime cordial is also very scarce. In a local supermarket this morning, lots of empty shelves. Not sure if this repeated throughout the country or just a local problem. Original question, I am worried, but I am not stockpiling. Thank you for that. And here's another one in from uh, Susan. Susan says, my husband, uh, it's regarding the insulin predicament we were also talking about. My husband is insulin dependent, taking five injections a day. What a worry it is. As with all insulin dependents, are they just going to be left to die? This is a horrendous and shouldn't be happening in this day and age. Worry about this can bring on a hypo, which isn't pleasant for the diabetic or their carer. Something has to be done. Something is being done, Susan. So don't don't get um, too worried about it at the moment, and, and you know, and don't get your husband um, worked into a hypo either, because uh, you know we've got politicians uh, like Stuart Hosey who's raising the question and saying, you know, there may be uh, an interruption to supplies. And by raising this now, perhaps we'll see that not happening. So as I say, not, nothing to get worked up about or worked, worried about right now, uh, I wouldn't think. We've also been talking about parking today. Joseph, hi. Good morning, Ali. Lovely Sunday morning. OK, what's your thoughts then? Well, Ali, we had a great idea in Glasgow. The motorcycle policeman done a very good job in the city centre, kept the traffic moving in the morning and evenings. Every motor car had spoke near a bus stop or a corner or traffic light was moved on right away, Ali. No messing about. And all of a sudden, Glasgow City Council says, no, we'll do away with them and get more wardens on the street. You can't have a warden going round the street all the time, Ali. The motorcycle was the best one for fastness and eliteness, getting them away and getting the traffic moving. And now they've got a shortage of wardens now. So bring back the motorcycle policemen and they'll do a better job. The problem is that there is a, seems to be, uh, less bobbies on the beat now. So less bobbies on the beat mean less people to get onto motorbikes and get into traffic cars, etc. Yes, that's, I'd love to know what happened to them, Ali. I mean, that was the best problem. 
I don't know, other cities had that, you know, where the motorcycles mm-hmm. kept the traffic moving. It was a good idea, Ali, and nothing was taken for granted. They moved right away, no messing about and arguing with the policeman on the bike. He got them moving. Okay, Joseph, thank you. Bring back chips, says, uh, um, for those who remember that programme. Uh, bring the back the, the motorcycles. Okay, here's uh, one on talking of parking. Um, I live, Ali, on Cleppington Road. That's in Dundee. Uh, football days are a nightmare because, of course, in uh, that vicinity, there are two football grounds, Dundee and Dundee United. Um, you can't get parked anywhere near my own home. Can't park behind the house as they're building new houses. It's all fenced off. You can't get anywhere near the streets. People just park and think it's okay to leave it there. Surely football clubs should have their own parking facilities. Derek, thank you for that. Okay. Um, there's also an email coming uh, from uh, a lady who, uh, Jane. Uh, Jane has said that uh, I was rude to one of my callers this morning. And that was John. Uh, I, I, I can under, I apologise if you think I was rude, but John and I go back many years um, and uh, do uh, take the mickey out of each other a couple of times. So I, I wasn't being rude to John. I'm, I know that he won't have taken it that way either. So uh, sorry if you got upset, Jane. Um, whilst we're, we're talking about uh, things uh, about the programme, uh, let me just say thank you before we, we move on, because if I do, we'll get to the end of the programme and I'll, I'll go out thinking, meant to say thank you. Thank you to you, particularly if you're a new listener, um, because and, and to all those who tune in every Sunday as well. It's, it's great to have you here and it's great that you react to what we're talking about. Um, we get audience figures in every so often, every quarter. They tell us how we're doing or, or how we're not doing. Uh, I've, mentioned, I've mentioned this on my Facebook page, but just in case you're not a friend of mine, why not? <laughs> not that bad. Um, just in case you haven't, I'd just like to say thank you very much indeed because our audience figures for this particular show are at their highest for two years, uh, highest market share for any show on the, the this Greatest Hits Network. So I'd just like to say thanks very much indeed to our listeners on behalf of myself, Saul and, and Rob, the three of us who put this together. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Right, any other business? If you've got anything you want to talk about that we haven't mentioned so far, then get in touch now. This is Scotland's Talking. Jane, how are you? Very well, thank you. Good. Your point, please. I just wanted to dip in on the uh, resources in Police Scotland um, generally, and um, speaking with a bit of knowledge because I have family members who are serving police officers. Okay. And I just wanted to point out that what I hear and what the way I see things are badly managed... Resources are badly managed. There's no leadership. People are very unhappy, very stressed. These are people that joined an organisation because they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to serve within their community. They're being put into roles that they don't want to be in, that they've not asked to be in. They're doing, uh, you've got serving officers doing civilian jobs because they've moved all this call centre uh, control room to Dundee. Mm-hmm. People are there that don't want to be there, I've heard. People are happy to be there. They're working alongside people that are doing civilian roles, that are being paid a civilian rate. Uh, the whole thing is an absolute shambles. And what they're going to have, what they're going to end up with, is losing all the officers that have got experience, and they're going to end up with a police force that has no experience mm-hmm. To, to train the, the new recruits that are coming in. In the, um, you say, you know, you've got 
family interest in it, mm -hmm. right? Um, have they been in the force for a while? Uh, what I'm trying to get to here, uh, do from what you hear, and mm -hmm. I realise I'm just taking, you know, what you're, you're saying here, um, but ha has it has the service gone down since it became Scotland's? It's gone down in standards. Mm -hmm. There's been a dumbing down of uh, the type of person the recruiting has changed. Uh, there's been a leadership has changed. Um, the whole the whole thing's changed, and it's unma it's unmanageable in its in its format at the moment. They, they need to go back to localised policing with with proper areas the way it was before. Is that likely to happen, do you think, Jane? Do you think somebody well, is going to be we'll big enough? Well, probably we'll have to go to rock bottom, yeah. as usual, as with everything. We'll go to rock bottom, we'll mess the whole thing up, we'll lose all the people with experience that have years and years of service, we'll get rid of them, and then we'll be left with people that don't know what they're doing, and then somebody will go, oh, I've got a good idea, I know what we'll do, we'll go back to doing localised yeah. policing. We'll have areas, and we'll have area managers to manage the areas with the knowledge of that area. And I know what we'll do. We'll put call centres in each area and control rooms and the people there will have knowledge of these areas. At the moment, the whole thing is a shambles. There's no leadership. There's no management. They've got staff that are absolutely demoralised going to their work. If they look at their sickness rate, they'll see why. The Jen, whole thing Jen. is a shambles. And that's why when people are phoning to get a police officer when they need help, there aren't any because they're either off sick or they're doing jobs that civilians should be doing. Mm. I, I have to say I agree with you because I know people who are uh, in the police service and exactly what you're saying. You know, it's, it's, it's just coming through that there is... Uh, the morale is so low. It's shocking. It is, you know, they don't want to, to go... They're not happy at going to their work. And, and what it needs is the politicians to say, hang on, we got this wrong. But Absolutely. That, but instead and it's okay to... to get it wrong. It's okay yeah. to get it wrong, but you've got to say we've made a mistake. Let's go back to the way it was. Because the way it was, you had good officers with a long service training these young officers that were coming into the service. There was a standard that had to be met. If it wasn't met, there was somebody there to say, excuse me, what are you doing? Why are you turned up looking like this? Why have you turned up behaving like this? At the moment, there's nobody setting that standard. There's nobody with experience because they're losing all the officers with experience. Jane, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Um, all right, what is, you know, a few things there that kick off that uh, Jane's uh, pointing out. Uh, unfortunately, we've only got about five minutes of the programme left. Any other business? Stephen's here. Hi, Stephen. Good morning, Alex. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine. What do you, what do you want to talk about then? What I think is it's about the rich, the famous, narrow stock, you see. And big, big businesses, the way they're treating these animals should be held out in their own captivity, out in the wilds. And that poor boar, polar bear, it disgusts me. Stephen, hang, hang on a second, Stephen. I haven't a clue what you're talking about, so just in case, bear, in case I'm alone here, you know, and other listeners, what, what are you talking about? It's a polar bear that was shot. These tourists went into its habitants and the guards shot it. They came off a cruise ship. Last week, really? they shot the poor boar bear. It's in there protecting its young. It's in its own environment. And these humans go in there and stare at it and end up, these so-called, they say, that their lives were in fear. What about the poor boar bear thinking really, to look after its young and that person shot it? But that is talking, say, the rich, the famous, 
big, big business. Trophy hunters, I call them. Mm-hmm. They're not just the polar bear, the rhinos, elephants, all sorts. And you go and get them stuffed and all that, and they stick them up in these big corporate offices and their big, big mansions. These animals are no born. They're stuck in cages or safari parks or be hunted with dogs. It's, it's a disgrace, Ali. That's, that's what I think. I just think that the way people treat animals is mm-hmm. shocking. Yeah. Yeah, I've listened to your listeners worrying about how they can't get and park their car. How did they get to these big shipyards and hospitals and there was no cars? And the local police, the police are doing a good job, Ali. And folk stocking up in tins of food in case they, can't, they don't get fed after March next year. That's nothing. That's trouble in society. It's what man is doing to the animal. It's more sick, sickening and shocking. I believe, and it's got to stop. Even dogs, and they shouldn't even be kept as pets either. They're no, they're no domestic animals. We shouldn't have all these animals in cages and clipping uh, parrots and keeping hens and bat in cages and all that. We're uncivilised when it comes to looking after animals. Stephen, thank you. We, I'm stopping you there basically because we're running out of time, but thank you very much indeed. Uh, any other business? And Stephen's getting that off his chest, as I say. It's all about opinions. Andrew's in Fraserborough. Hi, Andrew. Good morning, Ali. Ali, I would say to Stephen, global warming is probably killing more polar bears than the um, isolated incident. The moans about somebody shooting a bear. There's far too many bears. There's not enough food, uh, Ali. So... They're going to starve to death anyway, so I don't know if that was killed for humane reasons like we call deer, etc. But uh, very quickly, I'm on about, we'll maybe get this into another programme another week. Should murder of Scotland's populations, if you kill somebody, should you be jailed for life without parole as they do in America? Or should we rehabilitate people and release them into home visits after, say, some minor like seven years, which seems to be the case right now with many high-profile murder cases, Ali, in Scotland. Mm. It's it's one that, obviously, I'd like the rest of the listeners to come back in and talk and discuss. And I know the Americans are ruthless. If you take a life, I watch the ID uh, channel on, on some of the platforms, tele-platforms, and the Yanks just send you to jail without parole if you kill somebody. And I do feel sorry for the parents, a lot of these young kids who have been killed by jealous boyfriends and you know, are they really mixed up, you know, people with a difficult background who kill or are they just evil scumbags, Ali? It's, it's like life doesn't mean anything to some people, doesn't well, it? Just problem. to take a life, that's what that's I mean. The, the sickening thing, say, for Michelle Stewart's family, who are speaking to Nicola Sturgeon about her, their daughter's killer, they, their lassie's life has been measured in seven years for the guy that did that, you know? And I can feel the pain and the frustration, Ali, and I feel it's dreadfully unfair that somebody walks away in seven years after they've killed your kid. Mm. Well, as you say, maybe one for another programme uh, yeah, as, as we're out of time today. Uh, Andrew, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you very much indeed. Let me catch up on some of the social media comments today. Maybe my answer to Rose, Road Haulage after Brexit is too simple, but at present there must be haulage coming into European countries from non-European countries who have to obtain the appropriate documentation to access and exit for trade purposes. Can the UK road haulage companies not obtain copies of the same documentation in advance of the Brexit date so they can make advanced preparation to EU access and exit? Jordy says, would that just be too simple? 
Could well be. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, thanks for the comments. Uh, who else is there here? Um, uh, Re-Brexit, if no agreement made, does France have to stop our trucks? And why are we not being told in easy, plain English what the problem is in reaching an agreement? OK, thank you for that. And a few more and the, uh, on the Twitter. Um, regarding hard to the, the policing and motoring offences, hard to record motoring offences with less cops and an over-reliance on speed cameras. It comes from Yeti, thank you. Uh, Jonathan says 50% fewer motoring offences recorded, but how many go unrecorded given the reduction in road policing officers over the years? Yep, got that one. Uh, Jim also says you're... We report speeding in the streets and nothing is done due to other priorities. Jonathan says, in the street where I live, there are some problems here and there with parking, but the way the street is designed means you don't have a choice but to park on the pavement to let traffic, including lorries, through, although the pavements are still free to walk on. Jonathan, I understand that, and that's why I, I'm interested to see what happens when the, the law comes in that you'll be banned from parking on pavements. Um, there are many housing uh, schemes, estates or whatever throughout Scotland where people park on the, the pavements to allow emergency services through. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Scotty says, um, Sockton, West Edinburgh is a nightmare and I'm one of the people who does it, parking in a residential street. Me driving from Fife is cheaper than both public transport options, so I don't see a reason to stop. And uh, Drake's in Inverness is a nightmare for cars parking everywhere, even more so as Rigmore Hospital car park is always full. That's it from me. Thank you very much indeed for your company today. This has been Scotland's Talking. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's Talking. Like and share us. And come back for the next episode next week.